Yo, what's good everyone? It's Anushan and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how y'all, welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Aswi and joining me today are Anu. Yo, what is up everybody? And our resident jazz fan, Abi. What's going on everyone? So, Abi, Anu, how y'all doing? Man, I'm I'm hyped. You know, our series Aswi, we're gonna get into that today, but it's been it's been pretty crazy, wouldn't you say, man? Oh, no doubt. No doubt about that. And obviously, I'm also really happy because we have Abby on the podcast. You know, he's beloved by a lot of our fans across the world. So, Especially in Utah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Abby, uh, how's your blood pressure been these days? I'm getting some medication for hypertension soon. I, um, <laughs> <laughs> I need it. Watching these games is actually killing me like little by little. Like, I don't know like, if I can do it. I'm actually debating whether or not I should even watch tomorrow just because of how much of like a brutal beatdown it's been for the Jazz. It's been absolutely pathetic. <laughs> Save it for later. Save it for later. Yeah, I, I, I will. I will. We'll talk about that. But real quick, before we get into either our series, Anu, or your Jazz, Abby, can we just take a second to just say, wow, John Morant yesterday in that incredible Game 5 between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves. What did you guys see from John Morant in that game? You know, for me, I actually saw a lot of maturity coming out of John Morant because if you guys were watching that game, he didn't start that well. He was struggling really early throughout the game. He couldn't really find his rhythm, couldn't find his shot. I think he missed like his first five free throws even. It it just looked like he had no rhythm. He came out flat. But that second half, he just like completely turned it around. He was doing everything he could to, you know, will his team to win, whether it be rebounding, which is a big thing for point guards to do, pushing the pace, getting everyone else involved. And then finally, he found his offense and we saw what he was doing in the last two minutes of that game. So, you know, kudos to John Moran for really having an incredible performance and truly bouncing back. Yeah, I was really impressed with them, too, because... It's very hard to make a game-winning shot like that after you've been cold for pretty much the entire game. So for him to have that kind of confidence and to just go at the defender no matter what, God, I I have like so much respect for the kid, and I wish and I can't wait to see like what he's gonna do next because he's a real superstar, unlike the guys on my fraudulent jazz team. (laughs) He has to take a shot at them. I have to. I have to to get him to beat down every every comment I make is probably gonna be laced with the jazz insult. So get ready for that. I just thought what Ja did in that game toward the end, it showed that he is the star that we all hoped this season showed he could become, right? Because what makes somebody a star, an actual star? It's no matter how bad you're playing in a series, when you're needed the most, when the Grizzlies are at the brink of going down 3-2 headed to Minnesota, At the end of the third quarter, he had this incredible dunk where he basically jumped over Malik Beasley. And that's like one of those momentum shifting dunks. To your point about that dunk, you know, you could argue that that dunk might be one of the great dunks in playoff history. I mean, he legit cleared 
Malik Beasley to throw down and give his team that momentum. I mean, not not just that. Like he reaches far, really far back. Yeah, yeah. Just to really emphasize the point that no, we're about to win this game, and you could say that that dunk led to the furious fourth quarter that the Grizzlies had. You're right. I think it did spur them on to have that energy to you know close that game out against the Timberwolves team that's been really impressive, to be honest with you guys. They, they played really well. I really want to make a quick shout-out, though, to Desmond Bain, who John Morant actually gave his Most Improved Player Award to. Dude is a complete stud. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about this series, I think as good as John Morant has been, I, I do believe the most consistent player has definitely been Desmond Bain. I mean, game in and game out, he is an absolute lethal threat from the three-point line. I think he's shooting somewhere at least 47% from, from the three-point line in the series alone, and he's the leading scorer for, for the Grizzlies. So he's been an absolute weapon for them, and he competes on the defensive side of the ball. I, I think in the last game, he had three blocks, so he, he's not some some scrub player. Like He's definitely been a guy that's, you know, kind of propelled this Grizzlies team in a way that from last year, you could say a guy like Dylan Brooks did for them. I think Desmond Bain has kind of taken that mantle of being the the heart for this team. Every time I see Desmond Bain, a little part of me dies because in the 2020 draft, we could have drafted him, but instead we drafted Adoka and he has been doing absolutely nothing. He's always injured. So the Jazz, <laughs> we could have had Desmond Bain. We actually could have had another like good perimeter defender and another three-point shooter who would fit right in with our system. And we don't get this guy. This guy's been so good. He's been so phenomenal. And, man, like... <laughs> uh, yeah, Obi, do you know what the worst part is about getting Udoka? And this is something I know that you know because it's something you complained about. But it's the fact that you guys already had Rudy Gobert and you had Derek Favors at the time in your big man slot. So you decided to draft another big man instead of drafting a guard. <laughs> this is like when the Kings drafted like two centers when they already had um uh, DeMarcus. And then uh, he tweeted out, Lord, give me the strength or something like that. That was me. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> well, uh, all right. So I'll be since, I mean, you're bursting at the seams with Jazz Slander. Why don't we talk about this bizarre series between your jazz and Lucas Mavericks. Can we even call it Lucas Mavericks? It's basically been Jalen Brunson's Mavericks. <laughs> right, right. Sure. I'll be though. What the hell's going on with your team? It's, it's garbage. That's the only way that I could describe it. It's just pure unadulterated garbage. It's so <laughs> piss poor. I have no words. I don't even know how to like describe it. Like I, it's just, it's mind-numbingly painful. I don't. It's very hard to sit through like forty-eight minutes of just bad coaching, bad perimeter defense, bad paint defense, bad everything. I don't think I've been more disappointed in a playoff run than I have been now. Okay, well, let's start with that, right? So let's look at defense. Defense first. What have What have you seen? What are some of the the key problems that you think that the Jazz are having, and why is it that they're having these issues? It's honestly fucking crazy. The amount of dribble penetration that I've seen throughout this whole series has been absolutely ridiculous. Everyone's driving past our guards. Everyone. I've seen Dorian Finney-Smith do it a couple times. Jalen Brunson and Dimwitty are killing them. Fucking Luka is like another monster. When he was there, it's 
absolutely atrocious to watch our guard try to play any kind of defense. It's like they're fucking children running around grown men trying to like stop them. And it's pathetic. It's actually really sad. No one on this team has been able to competently play any kind of perimeter defense. And even our guys that are usually good at it, like Royce O'Neal and Daniel House, even they've been getting blown by. Yeah, I mean, again, this is really reminiscent of what we saw last year against the Clippers. A lot of the problem is definitely on the guards, like the Donovan Mitchells and the Mike Conleys, who I'm, I'm sure we'll get a bit more into. You know, not being able to stop the perimeter penetration is like the first thing in basketball. If you're not able to do that, the whole game will open up for the other team. And you're up against a team that has a lot of good three-point shooters. You know, Maxi Kleba has been really good. Even throughout the season, he's, he's been good. Uh, Reggie Bullock is a sniper. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith can shoot the occasional three. You're, you're lucky that they don't have Tim Hardaway Jr., who's arguably one of the better three-point shooters on this team. He hasn't even played because he's been injured. But again, it all starts from dribble penetration. And I think that the Jazz defenders are very complacent because they have a Rudy Gobert that's always been there to cover for them. But when you go up against a team that's able to exploit those things, like a Dallas Mavericks who can play a Maxi Kleba at, at the five spot, then it, it becomes a lot more difficult. And again, in one-on-one matchups, a guy like Jalen Brunson is having his his way with, with you guys, not, not even to mention Luka Doncic, who has played in the last two games and has played well in both. I just think it's really bad that they're letting multiple guys be scoring options instead of just having Luka beat them. I think there's a fundamental problem with a team that, is that bad at guarding the perimeter, right? And we'll talk about that with the Sixers as well, because we're not far from that ourselves, you know? You look at the Nets, they suffered from that too. What is it that a championship team needs? A good wing. Well, what is it that a championship defense probably needs? Somebody who can guard a good wing, because that's what you're going to be facing when you're going for the finals, right? By some grace, you make it to the finals and you're facing Giannis or Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or James Harden or Maxi. Like these guys are going to kill you on the wing. And if you have no answer for that, you're not actually competing for a championship. You're competing to not get knocked out too early. That's that's all you're competing for. Yeah, I, and I totally agree with, with us we hear. And if we were to look a bit more in depth with Donovan Mitchell in particular, I mean, he's the supposed superstar of this Jazz team, but he hasn't played like it. Offensively, he's been completely horrendous. And on defense, oh, he's been even worse. You know, he came into the league considered to be a plus defender, but throughout his course of the time in the league, he's regressed and he keeps on regressing. I mean, check this out, guys. For 100 possessions, he's letting up 166 points when he's the player defending them. That's ridiculous. It's it's unreal. Donovan Mitchell has become one of the worst defenders in the NBA by this mark. And when a team can look at your superstar and consistently attack him, that's a problem. That's like the Trey Young effect. So, Abby, what, what do you think about Donovan Mitchell? If you had told me that Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson would have given the Jazz a lot of trouble, I would have believed you. I would have honestly believed you because of how bad our perimeter defense is i would expect them to get their points and maybe take a step up if you told me that jalen brunson was going to outplay donovan mitchell and actually look like (laughs) a star i don't know if i would have believed you i would have been like there's no way shout out to eric 
Yeah, shout out to Eric. For those of you who don't know, Jalen Brunson and Eric look pretty much identical. <laughs> so whenever the games are going on, we'll always be in the text threads and be like, yo, Eric, you're playing really well today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you told me that Eric was going to kill us, no, there is no way I would have believed you. Well, sorry, like, I would have believed that he would have killed us, but I would not believe that Donovan Mitchell would have played like such a shitbox. He's been shooting 30 Eight percent from the field. Thirty-eight <laughs> percent. Oh man! And it gets worse. His three-point percentage is an atrocious, disgusting nineteen percent. Nineteen percent. His true shooting is forty-nine percent. What wow. are we doing here, guys? What are we talking about? This is a superstar. This is the guy that, like, you know, everyone was, like, so hyped about that I was so hyped about. He's not looking like it. And keep in mind that this is against a Dallas Mavericks team that, in the regular season, I think they ranked, like, 25th in defense. Like, these <laughs> are the kind of fucking numbers that were that he's bringing to the table? Wait, what wait. the fuck is this? Abhinav, Abhinav, Abhinav. I agree with everything you said, except who was ever referring to Donovan Mitchell as a superstar? Realistically, <laughs> me in my own head, Ken, and that's what I was. That's what I was referring to. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Like, I mean, hey, like in in fairness, you know, Donovan had the projection to be one of the the better scoring guards in the NBA, and he had that ability to reach that that level where you can run an offense strictly around him. But you know, as the years went on, and as we've seen his decline in this season and into the playoffs, I mean, it's looking clear as day that he's just not that guy and he might not ever be that guy the issue of having a backcourt of mike conley and donovan mitchell is that they're both very small guards and they're going to be the main focus for any kind of like attack on the um on the defense so if they can't play defense well then they better bring it on the offensive end and they have not been able to do that they've been you know missing easy shots Donovan Mitchell's shot selection has been terrible. Mike Collins has been missing so many open threes and so many easy floaters. It's crazy. And if they can't bring anything to the offensive side, then why the fuck are they even in the game? Like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, we spoke a lot about Donovan Mitchell, but we have to talk about the other guy that is considered just as much of a super or all-star, I should say, on that Jazz team. And that's this multiple-time defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. I mean, Abby, I know you've had your grievances with him in the past on the podcast, and all of us have as well. But I mean, what have you seen out of him during the series? And potentially, what could you see him do differently? So, so far, I've seen Rudy, and he hasn't really been that productive on the offensive end. I mean, he doesn't really have an offensive game unless he's catching lobs or he's, you know, getting the ball down low, but that's like very rare. Defensively, he's getting killed in the paint. Luca. Last game was going at him time and time again. He can't do anything to stop him. You know, he's shooting over him. He's biting on his pump fakes. And this is someone that should be way more defensively disciplined. And I understand that it is Luka Doncic. And, you know, he is a great finisher. He's really crafty with the ball. So you're not going to be able to stop him completely. But I feel like Rudy isn't doing as good of a job when it comes to stopping him. And there's even been times where Jalen Brunson has scored over him. Or even like Spencer Dinwiddie. I can understand if they're scoring on him on the perimeter, but when he's in the paint, this should not be happening as often as it's been happening. He's looking more like a fraudulent defensive player of the year. I think we're seeing the same problem that we've seen for, for years now. 
It's just Rudy Gobert's lack of involvement in the offense as well. Even though him screening and being a roll and lob threat is a big part of the offense, that rests heavily on the shoulders of the guards to be able to create. And again, the guards in you know Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, and even like Jordan Clarkson to an extent, they don't necessarily look to get him involved as much as they probably should. They look for their own buckets. And Donovan and Mike Conley have been really struggling to score the ball. So I feel like when they aren't having their good offensive games, that closes the door for someone like Rudy Gobert to to truly be able to be an effective weapon on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, I've seen a lot of the same stuff. Like the Jazz are incorporating this the peeling strategy again where someone will blow by so Rudy will rotate into the paint and then whoever is the person that got blown by will just go into that corner that Rudy was sitting in. And it's like this weird strategy that it sometimes can work, but in most cases you're never going to be able to get a stop consistently because the corner will be open and it'll take a long time for the defense to rotate. It's just the same shit that I've seen like every single year. And Rudy Gobert has not really developed any sort of offense will be effective against these small ball lineups so like you said i'll be if he's not going to be super effective on the defensive side of the ball then he really doesn't have a place here to be honest with you if he could do anything against these small ball lineups then that would open up so much more for the perimeter and if he's getting them in foul trouble then they won't be able to guard them as well either so it it opens everything up rudy not having any kind of offensive game not even like you know like a hook shot Something that, like, Robin Lopez, of all people, is able to fucking, like, you know, develop. Rudy can't even do that. Well, Abi, I wish I could say something positive to give you faith. But quite honestly, I have no faith in your team either. I just, I believe in Luka Magic. And I think, (laughs) I think it's time that you guys blow this up. Sometimes it's better to, like, end your misery quickly when it comes to a team like this. Because... All you're doing with this team is you're stuck in mediocrity. It's not like you have any legitimate chance of winning a championship, but then you're also not getting lottery picks. You're not getting any of the good young talent, and you're sure as hell not getting any free agents because who the hell wants to go to Salt Lake City? No offense to all our <laughs> Utah fans, but realistically. So I think it's time you guys blow it up. Get yourself some nice draft picks and maybe rebuild through the draft or something because Donovan Mitchell is about to walk – and and he, then he'll be the Knicks problem at that point, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just have to retool and see what you can do. If not, then, then, then you got to blow it up, like you said. You guys heard it here first. The Jazz fan telling you how it is for his squad. I mean, we should move on to our next series, and that's going to be our series, Aswe. And this is something that I think we both feel a little bit shaky on about what's going on. It's for different reasons, right? You're just trying to hold on hope to try to get back something from an otherwise lost season, right? We are trying to really compete for a championship here, and it's looking a little dire right now. I mean, let's talk about it, right? So I think from what I saw, and we're going to have different perspectives on things because we're obviously rooting for our own fan bases. Boo Toronto! <laughs> I thought in games one and two, the Sixers definitely outplayed the Raptors. I don't even think it's up for debate. Obviously, there is the officiating, and I could say whatever I want about it, but I, I do think that there was a little bit of bias going towards Embiid 
and then Harden. I, I think, though, that once the officiating sort of leveled out and they let the guys play physical, because, I mean, for God's sakes, it's the fucking playoffs. Let them let them play, right? I, I think once that sort of leveled out and we could actually see Toronto being able to employ their annoying schemes that they like to throw at Embiid, we could see that the games were a lot closer than the first two games would indicate. I thought game three Embiid made a fantastic play. We both thought it was fucking ridiculous, that shot. Amazing. Fantastic. And hey, that's credit to him. I mean, that's a difficult shot. I think the Raptors definitely made a mistake keeping Van Vliet in that game to play that last defensive possession out. Because why keep the shortest guy on the court when there's literally no time left on the clock? You need all the height that you can muster. So having a guy that's that small to contest a Embiid shot off of the, the play that they ran, I mean, it's not going to affect him. That's up to Embiid to make it. And, you know, kudos to him. He definitely made that shot. For me also... We didn't have Scotty Barnes for a little bit of this series, but having him back has just been absolutely incredible. And it's a big reason why we were able to win the last two games so far. But also, I mean, hey, I got to hear from your perspective. How, how do you feel right now? When you consider the fact that we are a franchise with a head coach in Glen Rivers who has 31 losses in potential closeout games, which is the most in NBA history. <laughs> When I think about the fact that we have James Harden, who's historically underperformed in the playoffs when it mattered most, and thus far has yet to really arrive at the table. When I think of the fact that we're going to Toronto for game six, and very possibly we could go to game seven, a game seven where if we arrive flat again, the audience will boo the team, meaning the likelihood of any series ever being a, a blown 3-0 series, I feel like this is the likeliest it'll ever get. That's how I feel right now. Yeah, and I, and I think you're doing them a favor with just getting booed. I, I think if they blow a, a 3-0 lead with Philadelphia fans, with the squad that's projected to you know maybe make a championship, a finals run, I mean, that's just catastrophic. I think someone's going to get fucking hurt. Whether not Maybe not the players, but definitely some fans are going to go fucking crazy. I mean, yeah. in Minnesota, you saw, like, um, some of the crazy shit that fans were doing, running onto the court and everything, chinning themselves the basket. So who the hell knows what's going to happen <laughs> in Philly if you guys choke the 3-0 lead? I'm not saying that I'm pessimistic about this series. I still think we're going to win. If Glenn Rivers and Joel Embiid are galvanizing leaders that we need them to be, then this kind of punch in the mouth, this getting kicked on your ass, that's exactly what a contender needs to kind of get their shit together and say, okay, we need to change this because we need to win. Or I'm just saying whatever I've seen in, you know, like a sports movie, it's the low point in the movie right now. I don't know. But I do think that we have done ourselves no favors in this. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, to your to your point, Aswi, I don't think that the guys from the 76ers, just based on what I've seen, have responded super well. You know, Embiid has made comments about the officiating in the series, which is kind of hypocritical of him to do in the first place. Wait, wait, wait. I, I know. Can, I, can I make a point about that? Sure, yeah. I've always been critical of Joel Embiid's incessant need to draw fouls in closeout situations. And... What always happens, he ends up turning over the ball, refs swallow the whistle, and then to have a pretty flat performance 
in games four and five. I think it, it takes a lot of nerve to blame the refs. And it's just like, listen, man, you got to mature a little bit. Like, you got to have some accountability there. You made bad decisions. And that's not the ref's fault. Like, don't be clapping at the refs because you're not getting calls. Like, how about you hold yourself to a higher standard than that? You shouldn't need the calls to get you over the line. You're an incredible basketball talent. One of the greatest basketball talents we've ever seen. Yeah, it's always been someone that's just annoyed me about Joel Embiid because I always just say, why don't you just back him down and then just try to score? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I think it's a bit more complicated than just back the guy down and whatnot. I mean, there's schemes in place for a reason to make it as hard as possible for Joel Embiid to score. I mean, they're sending double teams, triple teams at times, you know, forcing his hand to make passes. But, I mean, outside of just the game itself, it's just the... The extracurricular activities, the, you know, visibly getting annoyed, you know, pushing Siakam during one of the games, you know, just doing really silly things just because he's not getting the same treatment that he was in games one and two. And I think that that's just, it shows a real lack of maturity. And on top of that, he went back to his old ways of just talking about his teammates. I mean, honestly, I don't know if you heard about the comments that he made about James Harden. <laughs> I mean, it's just things like that. It's like you don't just be accountable for your own play. You don't have to talk about someone else. Yeah, it's, it's just the obvious thing. You know what I mean? So Embiid, you're a superstar for a reason. You know, we have respect for you, which is why we play you like this. So you have to just get used to it and just make the right basketball plays every single time. That's what the greats do, right? So show us why you're great. This is also the guy that he wanted too, right? So and, and now you're just going to go and you're going to talk shit about him? Like, I don't get that well, at all. Well, well, no. Reports are that he wanted Bradley Beal, not James Harden. I mean, yeah, shit, but beggars can't be choosers. And you have fucking James Harden. <laughs> right, so. right, 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 right. <laughs> now, I wanted to highlight one thing I noticed about Embiid in this series and you know we discussed his free throws he's attempting 9.8 free throws a game which is second only to Giannis who averages 11 and a half free throws attempted at a game but turnover wise he's been pretty bad 3.8 turnovers per game which is tied for ninth with John Morant and he's shooting 48.8 from the field 23.5 from beyond the arc which is terrible and I take the turnovers, I take the shooting percentage, I give the Toronto Raptors defense and their defensive scheme a lot of credit to that because Joel's mid-range game has effectively been shut down. His attempts between 10 and 16 feet and 16 and the three-point line have gone down considerably, and he's shooting more threes than ever before. Because in the regular season, 18.8% of his shots were three-pointers, And in this series, it shot up to 20.7% of his shots. His attempts down low have gone up from 25% of the time to about 29% of the time. Meaning the Toronto Raptors have effectively schemed his entire beautiful mid-range game completely out. They're either forcing him down low or forcing him to jack up a three. And he's been shooting those terribly. And let's not kid ourselves here. I mean, Embiid is also suffering with a really bad thumb injury that purports say that once the postseason is done, he needs to get surgery on it, but he's trying to play it through for his team. So again, credit to him, but a lot of teams suffer with injury and even my team is suffering with, with a lot of injury too. So there really is no excuse and he needs to be a, a little bit better in, in the series. In games one and two, again, he dominated us and in games three, he had a 
masterful shot. But it's just moving forward. We need to see Embiid actually take control of the series once again. Because right now, he's playing into the Raptors' hands. And, I mean, hey, I'm loving it. But I know that, honestly, for you, it's probably really frustrating. Frustrating is an understatement. (laughs) How many times have you thrown the phone? (laughs) Honestly, at this point, between my Packers failures and year after year of mismanagement and just Embiid having all these issues, like I'm kind of used to it by now. So I I haven't gone on long rants or or tantrums the way that Ubby has with his jazz. I'm kind of just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, here we go again. Maybe that this is like the same thing Knicks fans feel like every time they keep getting punched <laughs> in the mouth, but obviously yeah, to, you, to a far worse extent there, you know? Yeah, no, no doubt. And again, we've, we've talked a little bit about Embiid and what he needs to do, but I mean, his co-star in James Harden has also had good games to begin with, but he's slowly derailed. So, Usri, I mean, what have you seen? James Harden for me is very interesting. So he's not shooting very well. He's shooting 37.3 from the field, 37.9 from beyond the arc, averaging 18.4 points per game, almost five rebounds and nine assists per game. So it's not like his counting stats are terrible, but at the same time, he's James Harden and we need him to do a little bit more. Like, can you give us 20 points per game? I'm not saying you need to go crazy yet. But you project forward and you see the fact that he's having trouble blowing by people and he still likes to play his ISO game. But once he's trapped, then our offense completely shuts down because everyone else on offense kind of just stares at him. No one's cutting to help him out. So it's often a turnover or a bad shot. So there's concern there for sure. But I will also say that I've seen flashes of James Harden actually giving a shit on defense. Like he's being... Especially in the first couple games, he was very vocal. He was actively looking around, talking to guys, calling slides, things like that. But at the same time, him along with the rest of the team have just been flat in the last couple games. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree with you more here. I think when with Harden, he's at his best when he's forcing that dribble pen and he then he gets everyone involved because, I mean, I can't tell you every single time this guy got the ball and he blew past my defender or one of the defenders that was guarding him, I just like chalked up two or three points right away. Cause I was like, okay, well that that's that he's either going to score this basket or someone's going to help off. And he's good enough that he'll find the open man. Right. So I, I think that when you're able to contain James Harden and force him into taking those step back jumpers, which can be hit or miss at times, but when he's off his game, he becomes really bad because then I think he starts to get less engaged on defense and that's something that you want to see see out of James Harden, right? Because he he's similar to Kyrie in the sense that once you get them engaged on that side of the ball, I mean, they're not horrendous. They're not total sieves. They can at least play in, in some sort of scheme. Like with Harden, he can at least guard someone that's more of like a someone who likes to get to the basket, like slasher type players. He has the size. He has the, the strength to keep them out of the paint or get them off of their, their spots. So James Harden, when he's locked in defensively, yes, it causes problems, but you know, when he opts to be that player who just throws his hands up and like tries to draw every single foul and then opts to shoot as many step back fadeaway threes, then I'm happy with, with, with that player because he starts to get less engaged. 
You also have to give a lot of credit to the Raptors defense with their switch everything defense. Making 100% it agree. Making it incredibly hard for Harden to get to his spots and for him to do the things that he wants. He's being pressured, can't do anything. And then I've also seen that when he doesn't have the ball, he's not really doing anything to kind of help himself. He's just kind of staying in the corner and he's not moving around. I feel like his off-ball movement, I mean, he's never been a great off-ball player, but I think, you know, like him just standing in the corner isn't going to do anything. It's not going to help their offense at all. That's the thing, right? I feel like, especially in the last couple games of this series, overall, the Sixers were very low energy. On top of that, defensively, guys weren't talking much. There's so many times where Pascal would just basically drive in easily because our defenders like Shake Milton either wouldn't read the play or no one's calling out saying, hey, I need you to slide or something like that. Yeah, and, and to that point, Oswe, I I thought that Again, they took advantage of how flat the Sixers were and how non-engaged they were on the defensive end. I mean, I saw it multiple times where they'd like set a back screen on Embiid and he wouldn't try to fight. He would just like get hung up on it and then, you know, easy, easy two points at the basket. Or like it's just in a one-on-one matchup with Embiid in foul trouble. He doesn't want to get his fourth or fifth. So he's just letting guys get by him and there's no help defender and it's easy too. I just thought that last game, they just looked awful. That's not a trend I can see continuing. I think they're going to be much better in game six. But yeah, I mean, last game was just a brutal one for you guys. Anu, whereas a player like James Harden is kind of trending downward, I got to give your boy Pascal Siakam some real props because he's been really picking it up in the last couple games here. I think with Siakam early on in the series, he was just stumped with what he wanted to do. I think there are many instances where, I mean, he couldn't blow by anybody. And Tobias Harris, of all people, was kind of shutting him down. He was making his life incredibly hard. But I I think as the games went on, Siakam sort of figured out what he wanted to do, like get to his spots. All all it takes is a couple of early buckets. If he gets those early baskets, then he starts to get into more of his game. You know, take those like rhythm jumpers, those mid-range shots, get to the basket you know, do his patented spin moves, you know, things like that. Just play his game. But when he's out there just like kind of dribbling the whole clock away, not getting past his guy, the offense gets stagnant. And I I think that we want to see this upward trend. But the problem with Siakam is he's always been a player that lacked consistency, especially in big moments. So it's hard to say whether he's going to continue on that upward trend of being the player that we know that he can be at times. I totally agree with you there, and I just think that there's been so many times where defensively he's been really, really good, but then, you know, his offense hasn't looked as good at times where he's just taking these, like, weird jumpers, like you were saying, when there's no need to. He'll take, like, a bad three, and then he'll miss badly, and just been very inconsistent. I've completely given up on Tobias Harris, though. (laughs) You know, you you, you say that, right, but... Tobias Harris is actually having one of his better playoffs. I felt in general this series, he has been contributing well. It's just that overall, our team is not playing well. So let let me tell you about Tobias Harris. So on the series, Tobias Harris is averaging 17.6 points, 9.2 rebounds, 45 from beyond the arc, 52 from the field. He has a true shooting percentage of 64.6 an effective field goal percentage of 61.3. He's been one of our better scoring options, 
And that's primarily because they're using him less as a spot-up shooter and more as kind of just like a guy with the ball in his hands. Yeah, and to your point about Tobias Harris, I I think he played really well on the defensive side of the ball, and that sort of unlocked his offense. And I feel like that's the case for a lot of players in the NBA, right? You know, they string together some stops, they feel confident, then they see an early basket go in, and, and they can start making plays. And Tobias was, like, getting to the basket and scoring at the rim, you know, hitting his spot-up jump shots. I thought, overall, he had a very good series so far. Anushan, one quick thing before we move on. I want to ask you about Scotty Barnes. Your rookie of the year, this young phenom. What have you seen from him in this series? Listen, Scotty Barnes, when he had that injury in game one, I think my heart skipped several beats. I was so worried that not only was he not going to play in the rest of the series, but it would be a, a lasting injury going forward because this kid has insane potential. And you, you've you seen it with the games that he's played. I mean, he's made a huge difference. You know, in the series, he's averaging 11 points, 10 rebounds, about five assists. And he's just a guy who's a connector. Like, he, he helps the offense flow so nicely. I mean, he's a elite defender at this young of an age, being able to guard multiple positions. He's just a guy that I, I'm so happy that we have now. Because when he went down, I was like, yeah, this series is over if he doesn't come back. He's just so good at being able to slot onto whoever. I mean, he can maybe not guard Joel effectively, but at least he can be the initial defender and wait for someone to come over and, and double on him. Or he can guard a James Harden or Tyrese Maxey type. And there's not a lot of players in the league that you can say can do that. So, I mean, to have a guy like him is just, it's just fantastic. And hopefully he's able to, to play and not re-aggravate the injury. Even if we don't win the series, I saw everything I needed to see to know that this guy is going to be a good player for, for years to come. I've been really impressed with the way he's been able to pass the ball and just defend and switch on to anyone. It's been fun to watch. I was in the Evan Mobley camp rookie of the year, but after watching Scotty play and seeing him in this playoffs, there's no contest anymore. There's literally no contest. That's what I'm saying, man. Scotty Barnes, rookie of the year. Scotty Barnes for president. Scotty Barnes for everything, man. He's he's the GOAT. Scotty Barnes to the Jazz, please. Hell no. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. Nobody wants to go to the Jazz, dude. <laughs> All right, so final thoughts from y'all. I'll be... Who do you think's winning your series? I think the Dallas Mavericks have, have this. I don't want to be pessimistic, but I have to be a little bit realistic here. I'm not confident that the Jazz can win tomorrow, and I'm sure as hell not confident that we can win on Saturday. I think that this series is going to the Dallas Mavericks. They've outplayed us. You know, the Jazz, they're in their heads. They can't make their open shots, and it's going to be the same thing. I doubt Quinn is going to have an actual good game plan for them, and even if he does, I doubt the Jaguars are going to execute it. All right, Anu, who's winning the series between the Raptors and the Sixers? I mean, (laughs) what am I supposed to say? Like, obviously, I'm going to say I think it's going to be Raptors in seven. I think the way that the Sixers are projecting it's very likely they'll be the first team in history to blow a 3-0 lead. Do I think it's probably going to happen? That's unlikely, but I have to hope, you know what I mean? And plus, we have a lot of signs that indicate it's going to be this way. So, hey, I'm going to go Raps in 7. 
If this does go to seven games, then I honestly think that your home game is going to feel like an away game because you're going to get booed the whole time. <laughs> so it's like you're going to be playing two away games. <laughs> Listen, I always say Philly has one of the single best home court advantages because of how crazy our crowd is. But it's the only home court advantage I could think that has a double-edged sword because it can be equally volatile both ways. That being said, I still like our chances. We still have the best player in the series. I'm holding out hope that Glenn can finally get his shit together and that Harden can finally show us all that he's been kind of preserving himself for the finals. But, you know, you preserve yourself too much. The only finals will be the one that you're watching on TV. So let's see what happens there. He's probably preserving himself for the strip clubs. (laughs) he's just gearing up for for this favorite time of the year just not playing basketball (laughs) and going to strip clubs (laughs) that's the guy we used to make fun of he's your guy now yeah he's your guy (laughs) oh i still make fun of him don't worry (laughs) i mean hey also i mean if there's a time to win against the raptors now now's the time there's no van vliet i don't think he's coming back so shit it's it's, you guys have it man i do hope the raptors win though well one because i'm canadian and i support the raptors I automatically yeah. get that bandwagon right. And Hell two, yeah. I hate James Harden. <laughs> well, I hope they win. Well, hopefully, I'm the only happy one after tomorrow night. Hopefully, both your teams get sent home and my team goes <laughs> on to the next round. And with that, I think that's a perfect place to stop for today's episode. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Abi, thanks for joining. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. It was a blast to come on and rant about my team. I needed to uh, let off some steam, as you guys heard. (laughs) Quite quite clearly. (laughs) Be sure to like, comment, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to hit us up by emailing us at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com or on Instagram at brownmenwontjump. We'll catch you in the next one. And stay safe, guys. Take care. Raptors in seven! Jazz hopefully in seven, but no hope here. Jazz, the jazz. (laughs) (laughs) See y'all.